Greetings, you've landed at the VUC, IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com for their support. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSIP.com, and you can go to GetOnSIP.com for a URL people can click to call you. We've been privileged over the last five years to be using the best conference bridge on the planet. Yes, I'm talking about ZipDX.com, full-color, full-featured, full-HD conference bridge. Our website, VUC.me on the web, is hosted by Bluehost.com. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Okay, welcome to VUC 601, July 8th, 2016. We're going to be talking beam forming, not the kind of beams that you should never cross, presumably, but we'll talk about that in just a moment with our guest. And Michael is going to lead the session, and I love when he does that because I got nothing to do. But we do have to remind you about a fantastic event I've been to at least four or five of these. Almost all of us have been to several of them. Astricon, Asterisk User Conference and Expo, that this year is September 27th to 29th. It's at the Renaissance Glendale Hotel and Spa in Glendale, Arizona. I've never had the pleasure of being there, but I'm sure it's wonderful. Go to www.astricon.net. Check that out. We can never say enough good about it. You just you meet the greatest people there, and let's face it, you want to meet Allison Smith, if nobody else. Forget the rest. Okay. Michael, with that, turning it over to you, you'll introduce our guest and get the uh, initial stuff started. Thanks, Michael. Indeed, indeed. Well, um, let's see. Before we get into our guest, I should like to uh, thank uh, Emil uh, from uh, Atlassian slash Jitsi for prodding me to to, uh, get this done and also to pursue it. Uh, Because it turns out that Emil and I have used products from Phoenix Audio Technologies before quite a long time, and we were uh, quite satisfied with them. And Emil would be here were he not for taking vacation on a Grecian island this week. Uh, so, uh, that is what it is. But um, I should like to welcome then, and if you could, uh, Joe Marash, who is the founder and CEO of Phoenix Audio and has a long history, I understand, in transducers and audio sensing and hydrophones and all kinds of interesting things. Thank you for joining us, Joe. Thank you for having me. So, we always open with a question, and the question is something to the effect of, if you think back, what got you started in technology, and how did you find yourself on the path that you followed? Well, um, it's actually a long story, so... Uh, we have time. <laughs> I graduated uh, with an engineering degree back in the 80s, and I joined uh, an R&D uh, organization in Israel, uh, which was basically developing all kind of stuff for the uh, defense industry. And I ended up in the, uh, within the acoustic, acoustic group, which was uh, developing at that time all kind of passive sonars uh, for submarines. Uh, my first task uh, within the group was to develop uh, a 96 hydrophone beamformer uh, which uh, was implemented on what we call a flank array, which basically is mounted on the side of a submarine. Uh, And uh, after a couple of years, I became the head of the group. Uh, We kept developing all kinds of uh, applications and DSP solutions for sonar systems. 
Uh, at some point in time, we decided to try to take the technology above water and uh, developing uh, similar technologies uh, to be able to track uh, acoustic events, if you may, above water, like sniper shots, uh, um, you know, all kind of vehicles that cross a certain path uh, and things of th that nature. Uh, and, you know, that was uh, my beginning. Uh, Within this group, at some point, we I, I've been approached many times by many companies uh, which wanted to take this this technology and try to implement it for uh, other applications. Uh, I can give you a couple of examples. Uh, one of them want, wanted to uh, be able to uh, measure the thickness of uh, of a metal plate using acoustic uh, uh, acoustic technologies. Uh, others wanted to monitor all kind of uh, chemical processes, uh, which uh, you know, using uh, but just by listening to to uh, what's going on, uh, and the list goes on and on and on. Of course, hearing aid, uh, uh, surveillance, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, I've tried to do it within this company that I worked for, but it was too defense oriented, too government oriented, and. Uh, it just didn't work. They were not built for this type of uh, uh, of adventures. Uh, you know, the uh, the cost structure, the uh, the whole approach was not you know was a little bit different. So I decided to take myself out of this organization and open uh, and start a new company uh, with the intention to use or utilize this technology for, uh, if you may, civil or pseudo civil applications. Uh, one of the first products that we developed was a surveillance uh, array. Uh, and the idea was you sit in a restaurant and you want to listen to somebody across the, uh, across the floor from you uh, and try to record what they're saying. Um, so we took uh, actually a couple of microphones. We embedded them within, within a briefcase. Uh, and we developed... Uh, an adaptive beamformer that was very directional. You could sit and aim the uh, the briefcase if you made to this uh, area that you wanted to listen to, and you made recordings. So that's that's uh, how we started. The company was called Lamar Signal Processing at the time. Uh, that was 1993, if I if I remember correctly. Uh, we then took the uh, this technology to other areas. Uh, one of them was hearing aid. We developed a microphone array for uh, the hearing aid uh, industry. Uh, another one was for video conferencing at the time. So uh, there were a bunch of different applications that people, you know, felt the, uh, the need to be able to focus their hearing to a certain direction and, uh, and uh, enhance the, uh, the experience. And, uh, you know, we've tried to take our knowledge and technology and, uh, and use it for this application. Uh, at some point, the company was acquired by Andrea Electronics uh, in the US. Uh, Andrea at that time was uh, developing headsets uh, for a couple of industries. One of them was voice recognition for IBM via voice, uh, you know, that was many years ago. Uh, and they wanted to get rid of the headsets basically and use a microphone array. So we became part of Andrea Electronics and we developed microphone arrays for uh, for the voice recognition uh, industry, and then later on for the uh, car industry. Uh, so you drive in a car. Sometimes it's um, it's a convertible car, and you have a lot of noise, uh, wind noise, and so on and so forth. 
and the uh, the idea was to use a microphone array uh, somewhere up uh, in the uh, uh, you know next to the uh, to the uh, mirror on or sun visor, uh, and, and and again be able to to um, enhance the, um, the the speech and eliminate the noise. Uh, the cooperation with Android Electronics lasted for a couple of years, and then in 2004 we decided to uh, break apart, and I. Uh, started a new company and I called it Phoenix Audio. Phoenix, uh, you know, rising from the ashes. Uh, that was the idea, and uh, here we are. You know, twelve years later, uh, with Phoenix Audio. That's most excellent, and and also very interesting because we you know we see a tremendous amount of research goes into um, governmental, military, industrial applications, and then finds its way into consumer applications later on down the road. Um, my first encounter with Phoenix Audio was um, probably, I guess, maybe not too many years after you founded the company, and that I purchased one of these. And I was, at the time, doing a survey of different little USB-connected audio devices for personal use, and there weren't that many around at the time. Um, this duet, though, it was... Um, I was so happy with it that, and uh, it it became noticed amongst my coworkers. I ended up giving it to my boss at the time, and and purchasing several more for for other folks. Um, but I'm in a small office environment, so I have relatively modest um, requirements. Which sort of from the duet, what what was the product evolution, and how did we go from from things like this? I know you did some installable equipment, but I don't know anything much about that. I'm more familiar with the personal endpoints, and I actually have a spider behind me. So, how did the products evolve as you as you went through Phoenix? Uh, at the time that we uh, we started Phoenix Audio, that was 2004. There was no other, uh, you know, good quality USB device for conferencing, and there are actually not too many video conferencing running on uh, you know on a PC. Uh, so there was not not the need was not there yet. It was just emerging, if you may. And there were a couple of companies that uh, that began to come up uh, with uh, video conferencing applications, uh, and they needed uh, a USB device. And uh, some of them approached me and asked me if we can develop such a thing. And uh, the first product that we actually developed was called the Solo. The Solo is uh, is a microphone. It's not a speakerphone. It has, it's it's a, it's a, it's a noise canceling USB uh, echo canceling microphone. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was the first product, and we sold quite a bit of those, and we're, we're still selling it, you know. To my surprise, uh, you know, we thought that this product will disappear uh, in time, but there is still need for, uh, for just a microphone. But, of course, the, uh, the main disadvantage of the Solo was that it didn't have a loudspeaker, so you would have to use PC speakers to connect to it uh, in order to make use of the echo counselor. Now, in 2004, PC speakers were you know, uh, something, uh, you know, very commonly used today, I think, you know, you see, you see them less and less. So the need was to develop a product that had both uh, a microphone and, and the loudspeaker. And, and again, the market at that time was was desktop usage uh, because that, these were the applications. Uh, the bigger conferencing, uh, conferencing room was still uh, controlled by the uh, by the big companies, you know, the big codecs, uh, complicated systems, and, you know, we didn't think that was the market for us. So we developed the Duet. Uh, actually, we developed two versions of the Duet, and, uh, yeah, that was the that was the flagship uh, for many, many years. Uh, we actually even OEM'd uh, the Duet to Plantronics. I don't know if uh, 
many of you uh, know it, but at some point uh, Plantronics sold it with under their brand name. Uh, so we sold a few, you know, I would say many hundreds of thousands of those and we're, st we're still sell selling them. And uh, the, the nice thing about the gate, if I may, is that they don't break, you know, they last forever. So people still call us with a product that they bought like eight years ago or 10 years ago and they're still happy with them. Oh yeah, they're metal and they 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 were durable and they, I, mine lived on the road for a year in my computer bag, and it was uh, both it performed well and also it, it enjoyed that life without being damaged. <laughs> so uh, next product after the duet was to try to address the larger conference room environment, and uh, we developed a line of products called the Quattro. Uh, I think the Quattro came out. The first Quattro came out in two thousand and nine. And uh, it went through a couple of generations. Uh, uh, we actually had three major generations of the Quattro. Uh, at some point, the Quattro came with different interfaces, so you could use it as a, as a USB uh, device. Uh, you could also uh, plug in uh, a telephone interface. Uh, we supported both uh, PSTN and SIP telephone interface. Uh, and again, the, uh, the Quattro was the flagship for many, many years, uh, but it became a little bit, uh, you know, uh, old, and we wanted to to renew the technology and, uh, you know, redevelop uh, the whole product, and uh, hence we came out uh, with the Spider, which is which is now the product for, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll show another version. The, the version that, you show, that you're showing is uh, with the dialer. This is, yeah. uh, this, is, uh, this is the USB version of the, uh, of the product. So basically, yeah. the Spider is a, is a four microphone beamforming uh, product. Uh, the nice thing about the Spider is that uh, it's daisy chainable, almost unlimited. You can daisy chain up to 15 units, and if, and if each unit has a, a range of approximately 20 feet, then if you do the multiplication, you know that uh, you know it can cover any size room. And I don't think there is any other product that, that can do that, especially when you have. Uh, more challenging rooms, like if you have a U-shaped table or, uh, you know, people sitting in rows and so on and so forth. So for the uh, less commonly used type uh, conference rooms, this this is the only product that, that can address uh, address the challenge. Um, can we can we uh, just for a second here, as you went from the from the uh, the solo through the duet, and, and these are not array type devices, but by the time you get into the Quattro and the and the Spider, you're now dealing with arrays. How, what what kind of processing are you are you dealing with there? What I mean is it is it simply a matter of selecting the element, selecting the microphone element nearest the speaker, or are you doing something more sophisticated to uh, achieve the performance? Uh, with uh, the Quattro, it's a little bit more complicated, more sophisticated, not much more sophisticated uh, because you have four directional microphones. Uh, you you don't just select one microphone. We don't. You know, just do simple mixing, but we try to take a combination of all of a couple of microphones, uh, and uh, basically you create a couple of directional, if you make beams. Uh, these are very simplified beams. You know, you sum up uh, one way or another, one or two or three microphones, and then you look at the output and make a decision uh, which one is the best. And and uh, if I may, uh, the main challenge is making this decision because. You don't want if somebody slams the door. You don't want the uh, speakerphone to think that this is this is the right way, the right direction to listen to. So you need to you need to have a sophisticated uh, uh, 
sophisticated algorithm to decide whether this is a, a you know relevant speech. Uh, do you want to steer the beam towards this direction or not? So th this is many times this is where the uh, the smart comes in. Interesting. And and so you're four microphones in the in the spider, and then as you daisy chain the spiders. It, uh, it may be difficult to answer, but there must be a level of sophistication in dealing with which spider you're listening to at the time then as well. So uh, is that just an extension of the same sort of algorithm across devices or is that something further? Uh, it's, it's, a little bit, uh, it's a little bit more than that. Uh, you basically, uh, all the information is, is streamed to the, uh, to the main unit, which uh, mm. we call the master unit. And the, the, uh, each one of the spiders uh, creates by itself some kind of a quality measure. So uh, the spider finds a direction that it, that it likes uh, the best and uh, gives it some kind of, uh, some kind of a score. Uh, like, you know, this is what I think about what I'm receiving right now. Uh, and this information is, uh, is sent down, downstream uh, to the master unit that then you know deals with this information, decides which uh, which spider to listen to. Maybe it's more than one spider. Maybe it's a combination. And the master unit does it using the um, you know using this uh, scoring mechanism. One other thing that we have developed and uh, was published uh, was actually when the um, when the uh, spider decides which direction to listen to. You don't just use the energy, but you use uh, you, you are able to somehow decide if this energy is derived by reverb or is it uh, uh, direct uh, audio. Uh, in many times, we found that uh, the uh, energy that you received from the uh, reflection or re the reverb energy is, is, uh, is higher than the actually direct energy. So uh, we were attempting to, to actually make this... Uh, this uh, Distinction and uh, and ignore the reverb uh, as much as we can and uh, so the the quality takes everything into account uh, the quality measure that each spider picks up and um, and this audio is sent down downstream uh, and uh, and the master unit uh, uses it. Uh, there was another challenge uh, uh, if you if you uh, send all the information in a digital way then you create a long delay. If you think about 15 units. And you start streaming digital information down downstream. Then, by the time the master unit gets the audio information, you know uh, you, you created a, a major delay, and then maybe the information is not relevant anymore. Uh, we've encountered this challenge, especially when you have uh, a U-shape uh, table. Then the first unit and the last unit are actually picking up the same person. They they might be physically or geographically located. Uh, you know, very close to each other, while unit number six is farther away. So uh, the way that we do it is some of the information is, is sent downstream uh, in an analog way to uh, eliminate any delay in the information, while the other information is sent digitally. Oh, so there is, so, so there so, is a lot of sophistication that goes into this daisy chain mechanism. So you're, uh, you're really almost sensing, then, the topography of the devices, or the layout of the devices, and, and playing, you know, doing some temporal analysis to understand what's going on across what is essentially a virtualized array, I would guess. Interesting, interesting. And now, before, um, before we dive into talking about the Condor, which is actually your most recent product, I understand, 
what what came before it? What was what would people do if they had a large like a, a boardroom installation or something like that? How how would they address it prior to the Condor? And so, what led to the impetus for for that product? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, if you have a large conference room today, uh, your options are limited. Uh, you can use um, a good quality speakerphone. Many of them have extension microphones, so you can extend it to one direction or the other du- direction. Uh, so the only other solution that I can think of is, uh, you know, what we call installed rooms uh, installations. So you you put microphones, uh, you, you drill them into the table, you put loudspeakers somewhere somewhere on the ceiling, uh, and you use mixers. You use, uh, you know, you know, many companies uh, make mixers. We 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 do too. Uh, so all these microphones are fed into a big device that sits somewhere, you know, behind. Uh, the issue with this uh, solution is that uh, it's expensive, uh, installation is complicated, uh, and it's a very fixed installation. I mean, you drill the holes into the table, and then you have the microphones there. So, so th- these are the solutions that, that people could use for a large conference room, and I guess this yeah. is what they, they, they do. G- given, given that that's a fixed installation and that I'm reminded of, you know, when you see a couple of microphones built into a laptop, Apple are particularly good at this. Um, they, they do a good job on echo cancellation because they know the geometry of the laptop. They, an Apple program or you know, some, even Skype on an Apple laptop knows a reasonable uh, amount about the microphone array. Uh, so when you do a fixed install like that, is it, is it inherently better than a more portable kind of a solution, or or is it just more expensive and, and more complicated? Uh, typically, it would be better. I mean, if you do it right, uh, you know, the magic the magic formula is that if you get the, the microphone closer to your mouth, then you're better off. I mean, you use a headset right now, so your audio quality is probably better than mine. I'm using a spider, which is like a couple of feet away from me. Uh, so it's not a fair competition. So definitely if you use microphones buried into the table and if you put enough of them around the table that uh, and, and you do the mixing correctly, then the, uh, I would expect the audio quality to be, uh, to be excellent. Okay. But, there wasn't a fair uh, question. Yeah. You're, you're right. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, um, I just have a, a closely held belief that one person in an office, you know, a headset is a good solution and that's what I prefer. But I accept that the minute another person joins me, a conference phone is, or, or a speakerphone is, is the way to do it. Um, so moving forward then, what, what market forces brought about the Condor, and, and could you tell us about that? Uh, yes. Well, there is, a, I would say, there was a specific type of, uh, of setup which, uh, which was not addressed correctly, in my opinion. Uh, think about a, a smart board, somebody uh, standing next to a smart board and making notes, uh, and then you have people sitting behind the table. And uh, so if you have a speakerphone on the table, then the speakerphone doesn't pick up the person, the lecturer, the person next to the, uh, next to the uh, screen uh, because it's farther away. And also this person many times uh, is uh, with its back to the, uh, to the speakerphone. So then you have to connect another microphone, uh, maybe a lapel microphone, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe a microphone that is embedded into the, uh, into the display, and you have to connect these two devices together. So uh, honestly, again, if you ask me how people do it, uh, I could think of, uh, again, using a mixer. So you feed the speakerphone from the table to the mixer and then the other microphone to the mixer. Uh, I, can, I could think of many compromises, but uh, uh, but 
you know, it, it looks so much uh, more natural to just put a microphone, a good microphone, on the screen that could pick up the whole room. Uh, keep in mind that you have everything in this location. If you look, uh, for example, at uh, at a Cisco system, you have you have the monitor, you have the codec, you have the camera. Everything is in the same location. The only thing that is not in the same location is the microphone. So it was a natural location for the microphone, but uh, now the microphone needs to be able to pick up voices from uh, from a farther away uh, uh, distance. Uh, Hence uh, the array technology. Uh, one more challenge that uh, you know people um, came to us and, and asked for a solution was to be able to use the internal speakers of the TV. Again, for the same reason, you have you have a screen with built-in loudspeakers and you want to be able to use them. And uh, if you have a speakerphone at the table and you want to use your TV speakers, then you have to feed the the signal somehow back to the speakerphone for the echo counseling, so everything becomes so much co more, more complicated. And so the, the condor, the uh, the concept of putting a microphone array on the screen would just look very, very simple, very natural, and, um, uh, and you know, hence the condor. Sure, and so uh, just showing as I'm speaking, people will see it uh, close, a picture of a condor mounted a, across a display. This was taken from Infocom, I think, one of your resellers had promoted it to me. So the Condor is both then connected to the television and also to the computer that's running the client. And what, what's inside the Condor specifically? What are its particulars? Let me bring one over here. So uh, the Condor has 15 microphones. Uh, it's a 48-inch uh, array. It's pretty good size. Uh, we thought it's not too big. Uh, you know, it's, you know, most most monitors that you would use uh, are bigger than the Condor, uh, and the, uh, use the microphones to do the beamforming. So you, you create uh, a couple of directional beams. These beams are fixed. Each one of them looks at a fixed direction, and then you feed the information again. The same concept that we've discussed before. You feed the information to some kind of mixer that is built in. Uh, and this mixer, mixer makes the decision whether to use beam A, beam B, a combination of the two, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, the uh, interface for the Condor, actually, uh, this is the back panel of the Condor. So, you know, you can use it as a USB device. If you use it uh, with a USB, it's powered by the USB, and that's a big advantage. You don't need anything else. You just connect it to your PC, and then that becomes your PC, your PC microphone. Uh, as far as the loudspeakers, you can feed the speakers from the TV back into the device, and uh, we included an optical uh, interface for that purpose. So you can use your TV speakers. You just need to feed the signal into the uh, into the condor, so the condor can do the echo counseling, or you can use an external loudspeaker, for example, a soundbar. Uh, so you have uh, you have an optical output uh, link. You can also use an analog link. Uh, sometimes, you know, you use analog speakers. If you use it with the Cisco uh, codec, for example, then you feed the, uh, the signal from the speakers in an analog way. Uh, the only other thing that we wanted to add to the uh, to the Condor was uh, was the ability to to uh, to be networkable um, for a couple of reasons. One of them to be able to control because you have the Condor now. We want to control the volume, or you want to do something with it. How do you control it? I mean, it doesn't have any dial pad or anything on it. So we decided to make it, uh, you know, to 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 make it uh, 
networkable, and, and then you can control it through the network. Now, while it's connected to the network, we also added a, a SIP client on it. So that eliminates, eliminates the need to have any telephone in the room. That makes the condo the only, the only basically the only audio device that you need, uh, you need in the room. Uh, you can connect it to the network and use the, uh, the built-in SIP uh, device that you have. Okay. So when you say that the, uh, the beams it presents are fixed, are they, do they need to be set up? Are they defined at the point of installation, or are they something that the, the device does on its own? They are pre-designed. All the beams, you know, most of the design of the condo was surrounding around the, uh, you know, the uh, the accurate design of the beams. So they overlap. Uh, they cover 180 degrees. Uh, the condo doesn't listen to the backside of it, so it's only you know to the front. So you have 180 degrees of coverage, and uh, uh, the beams overlap each other, and they're fixed. Uh, they're pre-designed, so you don't need to set up anything. Okay, and, and 15 microphones. How how did what what's the logic behind that? I mean, it's, it seems like you could have had 12, or you uh, there there had to be some point in it. Also, the kind of the dimensions. What what advantage of the dimensions of the device? Uh, you know, in the article that I published, which uh, which uh, you know initiated this whole discussion, yeah. uh, I mentioned that the uh, the larger the array is, the uh, the narrower the beam could be. So we wanted to create an array which would be wide enough. Uh, 48 inches, uh, you know, just a number that was derived by the size of a typical monitor. We didn't want it to be too, too big. Uh, uh, it looked like a, like a good size uh, array. And then we did a lot of analysis to see if we get the, good, the, uh, the performance that we were looking for. Uh, 15 microphones, again, uh, the, microphone has to, the microphones have to be in, 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 uh, close enough to be able to prevent what we call aliasing uh, without getting too much into it. If the microphones are too spread, uh, if, you have, if you have a 48-inch array and you just put two microphones at the two edges, then you'll start getting the reflections of the beam. So you need, you need the microphones to be close enough, and the higher the frequency, the closer the microphones. Um, you don't need to have close microphones all across the array, and if you can pick through the condor, if you happen to have one and you pick through the condor, you see that the microphones are not spread evenly. Uh, you have in the middle. You have microphones which, which are very, you know, next to it, very congested, very close to each other, and then they are spread out uh, farther away. And you use different sets of microphones for different frequencies. Uh, that's the idea. Uh, it's, oh. it's a very well-known technique. Uh, the number fifteen. You know, after doing a lot of analysis, we've spent many, many uh, hours of uh, simulating and designing the beams using simulated data. Uh, and that's the number we came out. Uh, we came up with. Uh, of course, we wanted the uh, we wanted to minimize the number of microphones, but we didn't want to miss anything. So that's the number we came up with. You hinted at something there about frequency response and sort of frequency dependence, the interaction of the microphones and such like. Is is the Condor designed to do a, a full band audio, or is it bandwidth limited in, at the top end? Is you know used to be that things like my headset are bandwidth constrained to uh, 8 kilohertz pass band. Uh, what's the Condor designed to do? Uh, the Condor is up to 16 kilohertz. So uh, we thought that's a good frequency to have. Most people can't hear anything above 16 kilohertz, and that's, uh, that's what most of the, uh, uh, the industry requires. Uh, I may say that many of the uh, video conferencing applications that you have out there can't even handle 16 kilohertz. So that, that looked like a, like a good number. 
the, the challenge in directionality is in the low end, uh, not the high end. You can get very good directionality very quickly uh, with a very small array uh, in the high frequencies. Uh, it's much more challenging in the low frequencies. So we go down all the way to 100 hertz, uh, approximately. So, so it's a full bandwidth uh, uh, product, very high quality. It's it's very interesting. One of the things that just an observation. One of the things that I've noticed is most meeting rooms that are or conference rooms that are set up for video conferencing or audio conferencing. Um, oftentimes, there is the presumption that if I flop a device on the table like this, that that makes it a conference room, and they don't even have curtains or anything like that. You know, they don't have any upholstery. Uh, they may have, you know, very hard acoustic surfaces on on all sides. Consequentially, the device struggles or is going to struggle because it's dealing with the complex, unnecessarily complex, often acoustic environment. Um, so, and how's it being received, I guess? And then we'll start readying the audience. We'll take some questions if people have questions shortly. Uh, actually, it was received tremendously well. I mean, uh, it's, uh, you know, we launched, uh, I use the term very carefully. We didn't, we didn't just send units out. We had no demo units to, to be sent out. When people ordered a couple of condos, we would tell them, you know, maybe you should buy one first, try it out, and see if you like it. Because it's not a product for everyone. We don't set it as a, you know, a solution for everything. Uh, if you have a very challenging room, it's very big, then, you know, we would prefer that you buy the spiders. It's, uh, it might be a better solution for you. So it's an, it's an excellent solution for certain types of certain size rooms. And it's sometimes very difficult to predict which room would uh, would like the condor and which room wouldn't like the condor. So uh, with that being said, you know, people insisted on getting the condors. People don't want desktop speakerphones. I, I, I'm I'm actually a bit surprised by the uh, overwhelming, uh, overwhelming response. I mean, whoever we speak with, we tell them, you know, maybe your room should use spiders. You know, you can daisy chain as many as you want. There is always a room for... Uh, redundancy, if the room is more challenging, you can throw in another spider, you know, have a better coverage. But they insist on getting the condors, uh, you just, you know, free them from all, you know, cabling and, uh, and, and devices on the table. So, so far, you know, the, uh, the uh, reception was uh, overwhelmingly good. I, I certainly understand you know, if somebody has a spider and they have to, to uh, put that device out on the table, that kind of runs counter to the idea which we see in some places where they have a cart and the, the monitor is on a cart with the codec and it's a roll around kind of thing. And I could, if they can install the, the condor to the cart, then they've got a completely portable solution that maybe addresses whatever uh, room they might need it in at a given moment. Um, is there any particular vertical that you've seen sort of pick up quick? More, more quickly than others, medical or corporate or governmental? or uh, the, the, the first market that we try to target is, uh, you know, people that use uh, smart boards because uh, I think that's an agile market. Like uh, if you think of the, uh, of the Surface Hub uh, type of uh, a product uh, or the Cisco uh, MX 800, 700, you know, these, these are products that typically are not meant for large rooms, uh, but encompass everything in one location. So these are the markets that we try to target. But honestly, you know, we've been selling them all across the board, education market, uh, telemedicine market, uh, you name it. People just, you know, and it doesn't matter if it's an, on a cart or a fixed installation, they prefer to put it on the, uh, on the wall and use, uh, and use a condo rather than use any, any other solution. Okay. Uh, 
we've seen people that want to put it on the on different walls on the ceiling you know installations that we even haven't we even uh, hadn't haven't had to to try ourselves but you know it's like you get the feeling that the uh, the market is is ahead of the of the uh, of what the uh, the vendors can offer so interesting interesting we have a couple of questions, so uh, Mr. Bodie, uh, feel free to unmute yourself and jump in. Hi, Joe. Um, I think this is a wonderful product, and I think you've done a brilliant job at answering all the questions that initially I had, um, having gone through the specifications. Now, the bit that really interests me now are the applications that you could do with this technology that you're currently not doing. So, for example, would it be possible to use the um, the direction finding capability of a condor to do something like um, steering video? So somebody uh, speak, and then you point the camera at them. Well, sure. Uh, one thing that I didn't mention about the condor is that uh, when the condor selects a certain beam, it, it actually lights lights an LED. So you you, you get the uh, you get the feedback when you use it. As to which direction is the condor listening to right now, and we actually we actually provide this information through the USB. So there is a protocol we didn't release it yet to the public, but we're going to release it real soon, in which you could actually uh, tap into the uh, USB protocol, USB uh, messages that we're sending to the PC, and get the directional information. It's it's a little bit. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, you, yeah. You've anticipated my next question, and uh, that's exactly what uh, what I wanted to know. Um, would you uh, Would you be willing to make this um, directional information available? And the answer is clearly yes. I think. Yeah. Yes, we have we have a couple of customers that uh, that are interested, and uh, I, I may you know if you're talking about technology, uh, the uh, there are two different directions that we uh, we. Find. One of them is good for audio, and the other one is for video. Reason is that the audio we can jump beams. You know, we can jump from beam one to beam five very quickly, and if we do it right and we do it smoothly, you wouldn't notice. Well, if you do it with video, you would absolutely notice if we jump from one person to the other. So uh, there are different types of, um, if you may, smoothing technologies for the uh, direction information. And uh, we've done direction finding uh, many, many years ago. You know, 20 years ago, there was uh, a company called Vicon uh, that developed. Uh, it was called the uh, the uh, Voice Finder, if I'm not mistaken. And that was a four microphone array that uh, that we developed for the purpose of direction finding more than audio. So we've been doing direction finding using microphone arrays for many, many years. And this same technology is implemented, or similar technology is implemented in the uh, in the quarter itself. And this information will be available to our customers. Brilliant. Well, the sort of thing I'd like to do with it is is have a have a condor uh, watching a room, and then if there's any kind of audio signal uh, within that room, then we just point a camera at it. Yes. Um, yeah. This, this, as I said, you know, we're going to integrate it with a with a couple of. Uh, of partners of ours that uh, are in the uh, camera business, and uh, you know they would have to write the code to steer the camera, but uh, the information is going to be available. These guys, yeah. and because you're kind of, you seem to be addressing the huddle room space or what people call the huddle room market, which is sort of smaller, mid-sized conference rooms. Um, 
the PTZ cameras that that have external input. So you could map, you could create a mapping between the beam that you're using and a particular uh, PTZ preset that would you know, steer things around. I think what other companies have found though is you need two cameras and you need to do some switching so you can kind of smoothly go from one preset to the other without having all the motion. Uh, but that would be, as you say, for the camera vendor to take care of. Um, so any other questions? Tim, I'm picking on Tim because I can't see him. So, Oh, well, I've got um, another one. Go ahead, James, then. <laughs> yeah. Um, would it be possible to do um, a completely produce a completely different product, one that actively pings uh, and looks for uh, reflections, so sonar, room sonar? So you're looking for things that move in the room and things that change and then identify what they are. For what application? Well, I'm thinking about um, possibly security, but um, home automation type things. Um, uh, well, I'll give you an application. I've got, uh, I have a, a, a problem on my patio with, uh, we, we keep fluffy bantams here, and Tim's heard this one before. And they, they come and sit on my, uh, my, my patio furniture and leave little presents for me. And so we've been devising all kinds of outrageous devices for um, making sure they go away. And so uh, I would love to have a, um, a sound-based thing which listens for, for chicken noises, identifies where they are, and then squirts them with water or something like that. Uh you know, all these years we've been focusing on the passive type of applications. Um, you know, of course, you can, uh, I, I imagine you can create an, an active uh, type of sonar, you know, sending uh, beams or sending some kind of a sound wave and try to listen to the reflections. Uh, this is not something that we've done in the past, but we did do all kind of uh, detection systems that uh, try to, uh, detect uh, protruders or, uh, you know, we even had an application in which we try to uh, create what we call an acoustic fence, uh, a fence that will detect the location of somebody trying to cut a, let's say, a prison fence and so on and so forth. So, yes, you can do this kind of stuff. We're not in the uh, in this business anymore. Uh, you know, there is enough for us in the video conferencing business. There was one more thing that we uh, I, I didn't mention before that we're very much involved in. Uh, we also in the OEM business, so some of our technologies are available on uh, on daughter boards. Um, so that if, for example, you develop a medical cart or an ATM uh, and you want to incorporate your own microphone in it, uh, then you can buy the technology from us in in a form of a daughter board. I'll show you an example. I have one. I think I have one over here. So this is an example of uh, of a daughter board that we sell to one of our customers and basically has a very simple, you know, array technology in it. Uh, it has echo counseling, noise counseling. Um, so this is another activity that we are involved in very heavily into the uh, kiosks type of applications. Doesn't this, doesn't this just tap the, the sort of the the early IoT market in an interesting way because people are taking, you know, small platforms, Beagle boards and Beagle bones and Raspberry Pis and whatnot and want to add various different capabilities to them. But oftentimes their onboard audio handling is simplistic. Um, that is a logical lead into Tim, I'm sure. So I, I actually did have, have a question which 
may possibly been answered, but I had to step away for a minute in the middle. So I'll apologize if you already said this, but how do you um, how do you daisy chain the spiders together? What's the what's the the cabling between them or do you do that over a network or how, how does that play out? No, it's not over network. We use a CAT5 or CAT6 or CAT7 cable, a standard uh, Ethernet cable between the uh, between the units. Uh, this cable is used for both the data and the power, but it's our own proprietary protocol. Uh, what I did mention before is that in order to prevent the delay over a very long chain of, let's say, 15 units, some of the data that goes through these cables is analog, some of them is digital, and also the power. Uh, the nice thing about the daisy chaining is that you can power all the units from a central location. You don't need to connect each one of them to to, uh, to power. So it's it's a single cable that goes between the units. So in in a in a room situation, you'd you'd have dedicated if they were fixed positions, you'd have dedicated cable between them. But that wouldn't be just that could be Cat five, but it would be specifically purposed for this. It, I mean, it's not like power over Ethernet or anything standard. Yes, that's true. You can't you can't connect it to your network. They don't they don't talk to each other through the network. Uh, you know, there is a cable. Let me. Where is the? If I if you look, I don't know if you can see it, but over here there are two uh, right. Ethernet uh, connectors. One of them is called Link Up, and one of them is called Link Down. So you basically uh, connect the units between them using a dedicated cable. Okay, and and on the on the network question, um, the um, the Condor has a, a, a SIP client. Did did you say what codecs were supported on that SIP client? Uh, I think they started 711, 722, uh, and uh, a bunch of others, you know. Uh, no Opus? I'm, I'm sorry? Opus at all? Or AMR are the two that we would be very interested in? I'm not sure. I need to, to check on it. But, uh, but I mean, the standard, if you, you know, most, most networks would uh, support the type of uh, codecs that we use. So, uh, you know, it'll be selected automatically. Uh, we are not in the business of developing codecs. So we use the standard uh, codecs that you have in the industry. Nothing sure. I, I mean, you know, the, the two you mentioned are the, the obvious ones for these kinds of things. But, but we're increasingly, particularly with this sort of technology, the, the WebRTC technology, we're increasingly seeing the benefits of, of things like Opus, where you know dropping the odd packet doesn't ruin the audio quality, um, and and also if there's more bandwidth available, it will take advantage of it and give you better sound dynamically. So those sorts of behaviors are, are starting to become available in in, in desktops and, and laptops and stuff like that. And I'm just wondering whether it's whether we're seeing those codecs kind of head back into the conference room space as well. It would be really nice if we did, but I'm, I suppose there's no immediate hurry. Um, I had one more question, which is sort of in the IoT space, which was around um, provisioning. So how do you provision the Condor? How do you set it up with, with its, its SIP address and, and SIP credentials and, and, and that kind of stuff, it, given that it's got kind of pretty much no user interface? Uh... Well, there is a user interface. It's through the network. So the Condor has a built-in uh, GUI. Uh, you need to uh, you need to know the uh, the IP address that the Condor has received. So you either check it through your network. There is an application on uh, uh, that you can run on uh, on an iPhone or an iPad or on your PC. 
that will show all the Phoenix devices, all the SIP or networkable Phoenix devices, and it'll tell you what's the IP address, and then you you log into the IP address and you can you can provision it through there. There's also all kind of uh, you know the standard automatic provisioning. Uh, typically, they are more common when you have uh, when you try to install many units and you don't want to log into each one of them. You want it to be done automatically. Right. So, so you configure a file in advance and then they pull out from that. Well, the uh, the condo supports this type of uh, this type of provisioning. So it, it will go to a certain address and pick up uh, you know the Mac the uh, all the, uh, the username and password and so on and so forth. So, so the, 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 the iPhone app presumably has to be on the same Wi-Fi or at least the same network as the Condor f- to work, or does it go through a cloud-based service? No, it has to be on the same network, uh, and it also has some kind of a security feature in which you can tell the uh, – you can set it up so that a particular iPhone will be able to, to control the Condor, any, any iPhone – or, you know, you can also set it up so a particular iPhone would be able to control it, but you would have to put in a password every, t- every time you log in. So uh, yeah. the idea was that you could, you could, for example, set up a dedicated iPad in your conference room to, to become the dieter for the condo, or you can allow, it, uh, you know, anyone that enters the room to, uh, to do the dieter. A similar application is also available on a PC, not just an iPad. Do, do you have any... any- Thoughts you care to tell to, to say out loud about the the audio quality on on tablets. Um, so I mean, you mentioned the iPad, but there are also the kind of equivalent Android devices. Have you have you kind of listened and, and played with those to see what you know what they're like? Uh, I don't think I can make any any specific comment. I mean, the challenge okay. is when you try to get away from the tablet. It's definitely not enough. I mean, we use the condo for rooms up to twenty or thirty feet in length. Obviously, um, you know, a tablet is not designed for this type of uh, this type of. Uh, no, I, I suppose it's more of a kind of it's the step down from a single spider, basically. Yeah, I, I can tell you that I I, I can compare the uh, you know a good quality, for example, the spider that I'm using to the internal microphone of my laptop. I'm not saying that I can't use the internal microphone. I can, but uh, the. Uh, the experience is a, is a totally different. Now, depending on what you use the audio for, I mean, I, I use all kind of conferencing applications many hours a day because I need to talk to different groups that work with uh, around the world. So, you know, if, you, if, if this is something that you do for a couple of hours a day, it becomes, it becomes a big difference if, uh, you know, it's, it's, a con- it's a convenient audio that you can lean back and talk softly or if, you, if it's... If it's uh, if it's a challenge, you know, to understand what people are saying, or you need to raise your voice and so on and so forth. Right, right. No, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I I was when I looked at this a long time ago, I was quite surprised at how good for what it was the um, the iPad's audio was. Like, you know, if you compare that with a laptop, for example, I I found the the certainly that when they first came out, the iPads were surprisingly good. Um, I, I mean. I think things have moved on since then, but but they were you know they were better than I expected. Let's say. Okay. Curious, and yet, you know, the iPad oftentimes is it's the way that we set up a conference call if you're in a meeting room, but it's not the way that we have the conference call necessarily because the display is so small it only really accommodates an individual. Um, well, and, and, yet, and, they're, and they're simply not loud enough for for a full room. 
I mean, if you you know if you've got one on your desk in an office, that's one thing. But but a conference room, there's simply not you know it's not enough meat behind those speakers for that. Yeah. Keep in mind that you have people sitting around the table, and also as I mentioned before, you know many times you have the uh, uh, you know, the power hub type of uh, devices that you you may have somebody up uh, you know at the board uh, and is very far away from uh, from your audio device. So you need to be able to address all these uh, all these. Uh, Oh, and, and, you know, these are very real circumstances because, you know, there's at least one other manufacturer I know that makes a conference phone with actually two or three now with decked removable microphones that you can, you know, clip on your shirt and walk over to the whiteboard and not be left out of the conversation just because you have to go to the whiteboard. So this, this you know, the circumstance is very real. The solutions sometimes you know, look a little odd, but... Um, well, we're coming up to an hour, so let me pose, see if there's any further questions from anybody else. Um, we've had a reasonable number on ZipDX listening in audio and a handful watching the live stream, and I'm very grateful for our regular panel here. Um, I had one other question, which is maybe going a little backwards, but I wanted to ask about the evolution of microphones, in your opinion. Uh, and now, bear in mind, I come from... A recording studio broadcasting background. So microphones have gotten cheaper and they've gotten better, but they're they're big. <laughs> and and you know the average performance of an average microphone for an average price has, has gotten better over time. Have you seen microphones in these applications and the relevant little electronics associated with them? Have they gotten a lot better? Is it easier for you to design the Condor now than it would have been five or ten years ago? Uh I don't. I don't think so. I don't think I. I didn't see uh, much of uh, evolution in the uh, in the development of the microphone elements themselves. Uh, but there is a big difference between designing a broadcasting microphone and a microphone for the uh, for for the Condor. Uh, the reason is, uh, you know, there is a parameter that uh, you know it's called dynamic range or uh, noise floor of the uh, of a broadcasting microphone. The broadcasting microphone needs to be on the one hand very sensitive, on the other hand, not pick up, not create any noise of itself. While when you work in a conferencing environment, that's that's not a real requirement. I mean, uh, you know, the noise, the acoustic noise, the real noise, is much higher than the electronic noise. So you can use, uh, you may say, a lower quality microphones, and they're pretty good. They're, they're pretty good. I, I can tell you that 20 years ago the microphones were not good. You know. There's a company called Knowles that uh, is making microphones for the hearing aid industry. Uh, the microphones were always, uh, always excellent. There are other good microphones. But these are not – the microphones that you use for the Condor are very low cost. Um, they're good microphones, but they're not broadcasting microphones. Uh, okay. But – and then, you know, moving back into the product, the the electronics, the silicon available to you to implement the smarts that go on – um, of course, they, that's been getting better over time as well. So, presumably, um, I guess my point being, presumably the products get better over time because all the foundational elements improve. Um, uh, we, I can tell you that every no more than two years, we entirely change the uh, the inner guts of uh, of our products. The duet that you've shown before has gone through four generations, and it's a totally different DSP today. Uh, so. You know the DSPs are becoming better. The uh, the A to D converters are becoming better. The whole electronics is becoming better. So, uh, you know, we try to 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 use the, the best that there is in the market, and uh, we end up, you know, 
redesigning and revamping um, the, uh, the the inner guts of the of our products every couple of years. Uh, some sometimes sometimes the customers don't even know it, uh, you know. But uh, but things are things are improving definitely. Excellent, excellent. Well, with that, I think I will call for any further questions. And I don't see any popping. We've run up to an hour. Um, so perhaps I should uh, let you get on with your day. And thank you very much for coming to talk to us. And I look forward to laying hands on one. I'm actually going to be doing a little bit of, uh, of a review effort with the spider that Laura sent. Um, that's in, in progress and forthcoming. And uh, thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. All right, gentlemen. Good night. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community. We're at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Simwood.com, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our host at PBX is provided by OnSIP.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week.